What's up? You're listening to the Scholarly Spark podcast. Here's your chance to finally become interested in learning and find out what you're genuinely curious about. Join me as we discover the secrets of South Asia and experience different foods, the latest technologies, immerse ourselves in a variety of phenomenal cultures, find out about interesting people we never knew existed, and learn about what no one else dared to find out. I'm Kamal Narayanan, taking you on a journey through the mysteries of South Asia, all from the convenience of your headphones. Here we go. What do you think a good solution is to kind of declutter people's minds nowadays? There are a couple of solutions. I think uh, meditation is a good one. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very good process. So I would encourage everyone to uh, to meditate or to to you know develop a meditation practice. Right. So that would be one. The other one, though, that I would say would be developing the capacity to process information, which means taking co- humanities type courses mm-hmm. where you're being asked to read a lot of information and summarize that information. Right. You know, explain that, summarize all that information down to a page. Right. And, be able to, and then be able to have an opinion. Of, first summarize, then be able to have an opinion about that information. Yeah, yeah. That would help, yeah. So one of the things I do with my students is I get them, they have to write um, 10 assignments. Uh, and each assignment is they have to summarize a reading mm-hmm. down to a page. Yeah. And uh, what happens over the course of the semester is by the time they do the 10th one, they can do it twice as fast or three times as fast as they did the first one. Wow. It's an incredible improvement. So then that helps them navigate all the information they're receiving in uh, daily life. That's awesome. like that. Simple things like that. Like those are, so that skill of processing information, which the humanities teaches you. And then as well, I would say meditation to help calm the mind, right? Mm-hmm. To, to put the mind back in the position of being the, the charioteer as opposed to being controlled by the horse. Yeah, that makes sense. Humanities courses can definitely help with that. So yeah. what do so um what do what do you think that humanities courses have that STEM courses don't that can lead to you know helping declutter your mind? Humanities courses begin from the assumption that there are multiple interpretations of every problem. Right, right. That ability to see the multiple possible interpretations mm-hmm. and be able to explain each interpretation yeah. or construct an argument that demonstrates why one interpretation is superior to nine others. Right. That capacity is something you learn in uh, philosophy and literature, in history, etc. It's It's not a kind of technical skill. It's a critical creative thinking skill, mm-hmm. which is a bit different, I think, from the STEM courses. Now, I know a lot of the STEM courses are starting to bring in design and, um, and art and so on into technology, which I think is great. But I think the, the humanities courses, that's always been our talent, the ability to read very complex information mm-hmm. and then uh, summarize that and explain that information. So for example, you're not going to get uh, too many thinkers uh, who are more complex than Plato or Aristotle. Right, right. So then that, that tells me then that you should be reading, you should be studying Plato and Aristotle. If you want to develop complex thinking, start mm-hmm. with the most complex thinkers. Right. STEM courses don't um, require you to read the most complex philosophers, even within their own tradition. Yeah. So for yeah. example, within the STEM courses, no one's reading Sir Isaac Newton or Charles, yeah. 
or Charles Darwin. Right, right. That would be in a great books course. Oh, that makes so sense. See, the, the most complex thinkers, you have, the only way to develop complex thinking, creative thinking, is to, to read the most complex creative thinkers in human history. Mm-hmm. Begin mm-hmm. from that. That would be my, uh, why I would start with the humanities. Right. So, and sure enough, of course, you'll yeah. see, like, I mean, Harvard is, its fame, of course, is in all the fields. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But that's important. It's in all the fields, not just in the natural sciences or in business. Mm-hmm. It's also in social sciences and humanities. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so all the students are getting access to uh, courses in the social sciences and humanities. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, that's part of the reason I think we, not only Harvard, but also um, all of the top schools produce such you know, fine students. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that humanities courses are, are kind of a necessity in life nowadays to, to move forward in our society? I, I personally think everyone <laughs> start off yeah, with same, humanities same. degree. Yeah. I, I, but, a, but let me be clear on this. Yeah. A humanities degree, a very specific type of humanities degree, mm-hmm. a humanities degree that, that looks at the great texts of the past from around the world. So mm-hmm. at George Brown College, right. I started this uh, Global Great Book Certificate where the students take a course on ancient thinkers with me mm-hmm. and then another course on classical and medieval thinkers with one of my colleagues. Right. Both courses are global. They're looking at, at writers from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And the students, by doing these two courses, they get this uh, Great Book Certificate. But it seems to me that's what we need as a kind of full degree. A great books degree program. Yeah, that, that would be interesting. Global great books degree program mm-hmm. for every student. Where you're, you're all going to live to a hundred. I mean, life expectancy is 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 expanding rapidly. Yeah. Those who are well educated, uh, and those who can earn a decent, a good income. So, I think if you're going to live so long, you might. There's nothing wrong with spending more time in school and developing a very broad education. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that education, with, like I said, with the critical, creative, and emotional skills that are developed through that education will be a great help in the long run in terms of personal productivity, but also in terms of society's productivity, in terms of social progress. Mm. So over your academic career, what, what great books have you read that, that have led to you know, your becoming of a, of a social studies kind of guy? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it's, you know, it's hard to be honest. It's hard to pick out one of them. I remember when I was 17 years old, mm-hmm. wow. I read, um, Plato's apology. Now oh, this really? is kind of significant yeah. uh, because uh, now of course my, my background, my heritage is Indian. Mm-hmm. And like anyone, um, like most, uh, young, uh, Indians in North America, our parents want us to be, um, Doctors and engineers. <laughs> yeah, I feel right? you. yeah. So, um, so when I was seventeen, mm-hmm. I read Plato's Apology. It's his book. It's his story of Socrates's, um, the end of Socrates' life. Right. And in it, Socrates points out that everything we have is impermanent. Mm-hmm. You know, our looks, our friendship, our yeah. life. Yeah, it makes Mostly sense. Everything is impermanent. Yeah. The only thing that lasts is wisdom. Mm. And so this struck me. I thought this, this is quite powerful for me as a 17 year old. And so when I was 17, I told my parents, I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to go to medical school. I'm, <laughs> gonna go study, I'm going to go study philosophy. 
Yeah. This uh, drove them insane for <laughs> oh, about no. 12 years <laughs> until I became a professor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but that, but that, you know, I, I just sort of realized that I wanted to focus on what was really permanent in life. Right. And so, uh, I guess reading Plato at that young age, yeah, was um, was very helpful. You know, it's interesting. A few years ago. Mm -hmm. I was asked to be on this panel. It was a business school, a top business school did this panel. Mm -hmm. And it was a panel about globalization. And they asked me to speak on the panel. Now that everyone else on the panel were basically um, economics professors, finance professor, uh, CEO, etc. Mm -hmm. And then they asked me to, and they asked me to speak about global justice. Yeah. And I thought a lot about this and I thought, what's the point of me going and and on this panel, because everyone in the business school, their main goal is to become rich. Uh -huh. They want to yeah. make a hundred million dollars, yeah. million yeah. dollars, whatever. They're not interested in global justice. I'm kind of like a token <laughs> on that panel. Yeah. So I thought to myself, and I'm busy. I, I don't have a lot of time. Why should I get on that panel? Uh -huh. Then I thought about it. And I decided, okay, I'll go on the panel, but I'm going to ask them a question. I'm going to begin with a question. And okay. so this is what I said to them. Mm -hmm. I said, I started off by saying, well, so you guys are experts in business. So let me ask you a question. Think of your favorite company. And I want you to tell me who are the last three CEOs of that company? Put your hand up if you know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. And none of them could answer that question. Wow. And so then I said, okay, now tell me three people from the civil rights movement in the 1960s. And that a lot of them could answer. Uh -huh. And I said, that tells us something. That 50 years later, what we value are those who tried to transform society. Not those with wealth and power and, and, and fame. In mm -hmm. fact, most of the civil rights activists had no wealth and no power. Yeah, They're just poor people who were getting out there and fighting for rights. Yeah. Rights that would help all of society. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's interesting that 50 years later, we remember them. We don't remember all those CEOs and so on. Right. And this tells us something. Mm -hmm. Society is constantly telling us, you know, the most important thing in life is to be wealthier or powerful. Yeah. But over the long run, what we really value is those who try to transform and improve society. Right. So I guess that helped me. That, that, so anyway, so in a sense, that understanding mm -hmm. that I developed uh, early on, mm -hmm helped me pursue uh, my, uh, my academic career. Now, uh, now, I'm very happy when sometimes I'll get a student who will say to me, my goal in life is to make a billion dollars. I say, great, fantastic, you should pursue that. <laughs> what you want to do, you should do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so I'm not against others pursuing what they love, but I think for mm -hmm. myself, I realized early on yeah. that what I needed was something different. And um, I was helped by uh, reading these philosophers at a young age. Wow. I got to say, reading... Plato at 17 years old is very impressive. That's very impressive. Well, I had very good teachers, to be yeah. honest. I had <laughs> yeah. very, very good teachers. I mean, that's the thing. I was lucky enough to meet fantastic teachers mm -hmm. who uh, introduced Plato to me. Now, my students who come to Harvard Summer School, I have a number of students who come in who are 15 years old and they read Plato. Wow. Right? So I'm giving them Plato at a very young age. Not only Plato, but also, of course, the other thinkers I mentioned, Confucius. Mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. So... I gotta ask, were your parents are your parents happy with their decision now? Now that's all said and done. 
Well, I think, yeah, I think, well, I mean, like I said, once I became a professor, they seemed to be fine with it. I mean, you know, it's, it's very hard. You have to also respect the fact that parents coming from another country, coming yeah. into North yeah, America, mm-hmm, they sure. want their children to achieve security and success exactly, yeah. in a new country. So it, it's actually very smart that they push their children to um to go to medical school or engineering yeah. etc i think that's a very good thing so um in fact the the south asian community in north america is is very successful mm-hmm. in, in the u.s the south asian the indian community is the community that has the highest per capita income of any ethnic community in the u.s wow and that's because parents are pushing that makes their sense children yeah. to be successful so i think that's yeah that's a good thing i mean the other side of it is because they pushed me to be successful. It wasn't it wasn't a situation of me saying, "Well, I I won't be a doctor," and I will if when I rebelled against that, I didn't rebel towards saying, "Well, I, I refuse the whole. Uh, I, I'm I'm gonna just you know uh, just just be a very you know just take on a normal job, become a cashier or something." <laughs> I still wanted to do something. I still wanted something ambitious. Mm-hmm. So I became a professor. I mean, it's still a profession, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that um, that push from them was very helpful. I took it in a different direction, but it was very helpful. Yeah, I think that push matters a lot in helping kids become yeah, ambitious. It does. Yeah, no, yeah. high expectations are very exactly. important. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we see that actually at Harvard with the students, the high expectations. Yeah, it pushes them, them yeah. to move forward. Exactly. Whereas um, in other schools, you might not get that. It's been super fun learning with you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me. Join me next week as we explore another part of the vast, mysterious lands of South Asia. I'm looking forward to exploring something new that you've never heard about next week. Talk soon.